Welcome to the first episode of The Thought Broadcast, a podcast designed for psychiatry trainees in Australia and New Zealand. I'm Andrew Amos, Director of Training for North Queensland, and I'm joined by Ollie and Brian, who've recently joined the Australasian Psychiatry Editorial Team. Hi guys, uh, can I get you to give us a little bit of background on where you are in space and in training? Thanks for the introduction. Um, so my name's Ollie and I am a stage two trainee. Uh, I'm located at Barwon Health in Geelong and recording today from the surf coast in Victoria. Oh, lovely. And Brian? Thanks, Andrew. So my name is Brian. I'm currently a stage three uh, trainee and I'm working in a Tuong Specialist Clinic at the moment in, in Brisbane. Okay. Uh, look, there are many topics of general interest to psychiatry trainees that we hope to cover over the course of these podcasts, but uh, all three of you seemed keen to begin with a series on the scholarly project. So, so why start there? In discussions between the three of us, uh, our, our goal with the journal is to try and encourage training engagement with the journal. So the, uh, the scholarly project seemed like a, a really natural fit. Uh, it's, it's the primary source of research experience within the training program and probably the best opportunity a lot of trainees have to engage in the publication process. So we felt like it was a really good place to start. And what we're hoping to do is to try and demystify the scholarly project a little bit and also try and humanise um, the, the research experience and offer some human stories behind it, because I think sometimes that can be lost as a trainee. And I definitely agree, Oliver. I think um, probably one of the things that I face is I saw a lot of my colleagues who get very worried about the scholarly project and they become a big hurdle for them to advance through their training. And I, I feel like a lot, a lot of these fear is based on just not knowing what is involved and haven't done it before. Look, I'm a director of training, as I mentioned, and uh, certainly the, the level of terror in some registrars faced by this process is, is quite extreme. And as you say, it's probably the most different thing from what you're used to in your clinical time that you're asked to do as part of your training. So certainly something I think uh, is good to focus on. Well, we're going to begin by asking Brian to share his experiences with us. And I understand that uh, over the next few podcasts, we're also aiming to explore the different roles required to successfully complete a scholarly project, including interviewing Jeremy Cooper, the chair of the scholarly project committee. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Uh, so Jeremy's kindly agreed to get on board with the podcast. And we'll uh, be getting in touch with him soon to try and gain an insight from, I suppose, the other side and, and the people looking at the projects as they come across the table and, and get some more insights into uh, what maybe trainees could be doing um, in order to maximise the chances of getting through. Fantastic. Well, look, um, we are starting with Brian and uh, just before the podcast, Brian, mailed along his, uh, his publication in Australasian Psychiatry, which is a, a fantastic looking article. So Brian, can you briefly introduce us to the ideas that are covered in your article and the approach you took to the scholarly project? Yeah, sure. Um, so for my story project, I, I submitted as a normal process and, and after it submitted, I also sent for the, uh, the journal for publication as well. So for me, that was a parallel process. And um, it was actually only after I um, successfully finished the, the project and get it approved, uh, only a few months after that, that I got it uh, published with Australian Asian Psychiatry. Um, and my project um, at, at that time was in Mackay, which is a small regional town in, in Queensland. And we were looking at uh, the relationship between unemployment and the rate of people coming into emergency with substance-induced disorder. 
um, because it's quite interesting in Mackay. Um, it was used to be a big mining town, and we had that mining downturn where a lot of people were losing jobs. And uh, I think as a clinician, we saw that there were more people coming to ED afterwards with uh, just substance-induced disorder. And then we, you know, we just questioned and whether or not there was any relationship between unemployment and what we're seeing. So I think our research just started with a, you know, a bit of curiosity and just like a, a hypothesis before we, we start to test that. Would you say, was this a pre-existing area of interest for you or was it more that, as you were just discussing, there was a clinical relevance to, to this type of uh, idea? Or perhaps did it come out of discussions with other professionals in Mackay? Uh, I think it actually came out quite randomly. We, we were having just a very <laughs> random doctor meeting and uh, one of the consultants who was a locum at that time just had to notice, say, oh, you know, in Mackay, we, I just saw so many people coming to AD with this problem. What's going on? And then another consultant who was there for a long time said, oh, yeah, we, we never saw that much before the downturn. So, it, you know, the, the discussion turned into, oh, I wonder if there's any relationship. And, 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 and then we just said, oh, it could be a good story project. And it just turned, transformed from that idea into a, a probable um, project. And, it's, and then took a lot more refining afterwards. But it just turned from a random question, to be honest. Yeah, well, mm. and that's how many great projects mm. come. I mean, you have a relevant clinical situation, you have a natural question that arises out of that situation, and then that's what you go and investigate. Were you at the time or, or in the process of writing the article, were you aware of any background, like uh, the, the studies that looked at uh, recessions in Greece, for example, and rates of suicide, things like that? Uh, actually, uh, I started reading more at I started doing the literary review. And, you know, we look at a lot of, you know, like you said, increase in, in, in a Europe where they had that uh, a recession as well. A lot of youth committed suicide and uh, just a substance, more problem with psychosis and substance use after the um, uh, economic recession. So I think that was only after I started digging more of the literary review that I know, know a bit more. So I had no previous background about this topic before that. Did you get any guidance or help with that process of doing the literature review? I mean, it can be quite a big topic, of course. Were there any resources available to help you with that? Uh, unfortunately, because we were in Mackay, which is really a you know, smaller service, there were not a lot of people who been through this process before. So a lot of it were quite um, self-guided and you know, a lot of that just spending some time in Google. But it's quite amazing what you can find in Google Scholar uh, these days. I'm sure if I had a librarian, that probably would have been a bit, <laughs> lot more easier. But, you know, it was quite a fun process for me as well, just learning about it. Ollie, I know that both you and, and Michael have also completed your scholarly project. Did, did you have any access to resources that helped with the literature review side of things? Uh, well, in my experience, I actually wrote a literature review for my scholarly project. So um, it was, you know, sort of embedded as part of doing that. Uh, and I was lucky enough to be working in a, um, a research group uh, in Geelong at Deakin University, the impact group with Michael Burke. So I had really good supervision and um, I was set up with being able to meet with a librarian and have some learning about how to conduct a review and systematic search of the literature. So I was um, in a different camp to Brian, I suppose I had, I had some 
more resources immediately available to me and they were really helpful for me um, in getting the work done. Well, look, um, one of my roles is I do cover Mackay and, and uh, there are some resources there. So um, Mackay Hospital does have a relationship with one of the, the Central Queensland universities and you can often get access to their librarians. You do have to ask nicely, but generally they will help you with those sorts of searches. And usually within Queensland Health, there, there will be a local library service that can help with that. So um, often it's a matter of asking the right people. And usually the best way of doing that is if you are aware that there are people that have been engaged in research and made, um, you know, publish things in, in journals, they're, they're probably the people to approach because they may be able to point you in the right direction. Mm. So, so, Brian, um, you, uh, you had a question that came out of a clinical situation. You then did some reading and, and background. I noticed that your article, uh, you, you had a colleague involved in your research. Was that a difficult um, relationship to, to uh, negotiate or was it great having somebody else on board? Oh, I think it was really great having someone on board because um, uh, it's a big project. So, you know, I think... And we, we noticed that we could share with someone else. So um, and we were we good friends, and we are still very good friends. So that's why it was very <laughs> easy uh, for us to share. Um, my colleague at that time, now who's very hardworking, and I'm a bit more analytic. So she was very keen to do the a bit of more manual labor. Was I'm a bit more about oh yeah, how do we analyze this data? How do we integrate this data? So we worked together very very well. Okay, are you saying you were the brains and she was the brawn? Uh, in a way. <laughs> <laughs> so, look, the division of labour is important because, of course, with the scholarly project, each person does have to have their own input into the intellectual property. And, and it, but it is also a very good idea to have complementary skill sets, as you've mm. described. Generally, you will want people to be involved in each of the different aspects of the process. So, you know, coming up with the idea, doing some of the data analysis and then the interpretation. So... Bouncing ideas off people really is the best way of becoming comfortable with the ideas for the scholarly project, whether it's um, a research project like yours or a review such as Ollie did. Did you have a local supervisor or did you rely on people from outside the service? Uh, we use a local supervisor who was a consultant psychiatrist at that time. Okay. Were they involved in the original discussion that led to the idea? Yeah, yeah, they were. I think, um, and, and he was... Um, involved in a regional discussion and he was the one, oh yeah, why don't we do the uh, topic out of this? Um, so yes, he was involved. Look, I, I am familiar with Mackay, so a bit of local knowledge and it is a smaller team there, both of uh, psychiatrists and psychiatric registrars, but it seems to be a fairly tight team. Mm. And um, a number of people trained through the UK, so very familiar with audits and so on, perhaps a little bit more than publications. Brian, throughout the, the course of your project, were there any specific challenges that you faced, difficult times, barriers that had to be overcome, anything like that? I think the, the most challenging thing is at that time I was not aware of the potential help out there with the uh, research and the statistic side. Thing. Um, so it was a lot of thinking in terms of how do we look at this topic. We decided then to look at the correlation between unemployment and the emission rate, and it's about finding what statistic uh, to use to employ to look at that relationship and to kind of navigate that. Um, so a lot of Google on time. And uh, so again, it's amazing what you can find Google just to kind of teach you what um, statistic that you can use. And also just because I wasn't aware of the potential software that was available out there to just help me go through that statistic. So there's a lot of the technical difficulty that I face, I think. Mm. 
Well, look, software is a very interesting, well, it's probably not an interesting topic of discussion. It's a very useful topic <laughs> topic of discussion for this particular type of scholarly project. You, you've mentioned statistics software. Another one I'd probably mention would be the referencing software. So did you, mm. did you find any software that was useful that was accessible through Queensland Health? So I used the AirNote. Uh, for the reference software that access from Queensland Health and uh, the library was really helpful with that with that one. Yeah. Um, with the statistics software, I did not use any that affiliate with Queensland Health. I after a bit of Google, I found a software called Excel Stat that basically just can put an add-in for your normal Excel software, and it can just run a statistic. And it had a thirty-day free trial, and uh, it was all I needed to analyze the data. So perfect for the project. Well, that's a really important point. Um, the clearer your ideas and the, the better expressed they are in terms of your hypotheses, usually the more simple and powerful your results are going to be and the statistical analysis then becomes much more clear. So it's usually an advantage to have put a bit of thought into it. I wasn't aware of Excel stats, but I'm certainly aware of the add-in um, side of things. Do you have anything to say about EndNote? So referencing software essentially that allows you to not worry about your references once you've typed in the basics, it'll insert and then format all of the references for you. Yeah, absolutely. EndNote is a, a lifesaver. I think it saved me many, many hours of reference. So yep. I would recommend anyone that thinking of doing anything scholarly to start using EndNote. Yeah, I would, I would second that, Brian. <laughs> I think it was a lifesaver for me too. It, couldn't, couldn't do a literature review without it. So Yeah, yeah so literature review is very important. Um, if you are looking at publication, that sort of stuff is really important, particularly because different journals can require different formats, and it can be an, an enormous pain changing from one format to another if you're looking at different, different uh, journals for submission. So um, a very useful skill to get involved with. If you have admin support that will do it for you, that's also um, even more of a lifesaver. Ollie, do you have any questions you'd like to ask Brian? Yeah, I suppose, uh, Brian, we've spoken briefly about how um, the process went for you, but um, I was interested what it was like uh, in the data gathering phase. It looked like you used retrospective data um, going back through either medical notes or notes through the ED, and I would assume that was a pretty laborious process. I'd be just interested to know what that was like for you. Yeah, uh, it, it was quite laborious, and I think that's why it's very important that during a big research, you have a, a colleague to help you as well. So, you know, we share we share the work with this. Um, and I think it's also great to look at the uh, uh, readily available data. For example, CIMA is, mm -hmm. was very helpful. It was very helpful that Makai was using electronic IMR at that time as well, you know. So, mm -hmm. uh, and also ask the, uh, the, the hospital... Uh, medical record um, people as well because they only hold the uh, emission rate uh, and length of state so they can run a report for you quite easily. Um, the unemployment right. data is well quite easy because they are available on the government website. So I think well, that was uh -huh. something that we discussed that doing research is, is, is very difficult enough. So if you can plan your project and use readily available data, it's really help you to, to get project going. Yeah. So you had to sort of communicate with lots of different parts of the hospital to, uh, I suppose, access that data. Um, that's correct. That's correct. Did you have any advice on that? Did anyone sort of guide you or was it sort of just picking up the phone or emailing? It people? wasn't all about just picking up the phone and just 
contact um, someone. And even if you don't get the right person the first time, they can guide you to, to the better person to help you. So it's not an easy process. So, you know, never be afraid to just pick up the phone and call someone and ask a question. I can just imagine that would be hard to um, be going through that and also balancing it with all the other training requirements that you've got, whether it be exams or just clinical work. I'm interested to know how that was. Actually, I you know, think now looking back, I would really uh, advise that anyone to start the scory project or even the psychotherapy, just start early, start, start when you are in stage one, because at that time, you're not as busy learning, uh, preparing for order exam. And with all research, there are a lot of passive waiting time as well. You know, you submit the ethic, you wait for the response, you then uh, respond to their response in a way. Um, the, the actual time that we spend doing the project is not that much. It's, it's something that you can slot out a couple of hours every now and then. It's more the waiting time that is very long. So a lot of my colleagues come to the end of their training in year five and realize that they haven't done the, the SCOI project. And even at that time, even if they want to make it faster, they can't because there's so much passive waiting time. So I think I would advise that everyone to just start early, as early as you can. Yeah, yeah. So it's really stop, start. You have to kind of get something, your short burst of activity, you send it off for submission, then you're waiting for the ethics committee committee to review it. And you can't rush that process, I suppose. You just got to sit and wait. Absolutely, that's correct. So that's why, um, you know, the amount of effort that you put in the, um, the, the project, you don't need to spend every, uh, every day, every a lot of hours. You need a few hours here and there. Um, but it's just a lot of waiting time, like you said. So get it on early. Yeah, you're inspiring me. I've got a project in my mind that I've been trying to do that I've been working up to do an ethics application for, and I probably should just put in the effort and get the two hours done, and then uh, I can sit on my laurels for a few months and wait for the response. Yeah, and I think it's a really good point that you make. A lot of people are afraid of ethics because I think there's a there's a belief that ethics takes forever, it takes six months or a year to get it approved, which Personally, I don't find it correct because our project, the ethic, took maybe a month or two max, um, and yep. there's the, and also depends on the the, the complexity of your project. Uh, if it's something that doesn't involve a lot of risk, especially if it's a retrospective um, research like like ours, is that the, the ethic doesn't take that long. Um, so you know, there's a it look daunting from 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 our side. But as you start, it's basically just few in a blank exercise. So uh, I would encourage you to just do it quick and do it early. Yeah, great. Yeah, it's, it's such a good project. I mean, reading your paper, um, it just, like we were talking about earlier, the way that it came out of such a, a specific local problem and a little observation that has then spawned into something that's really, um, really valuable and, and clearly well executed, I think, more the point. It's, yeah, it's, good, it's a good article to read. So... Uh, I'd encourage anyone to get on and have a look at it. I'd absolutely agree. Uh, look, um, there's often follow-up to this sort of article as well, Brian. Have you thought about presenting at a conference or anything like that? Uh, so we did present it at the Rancid Conference in Auckland in 2017. And what, what sort of response did it get? Uh, I think it was has a really favourable uh, response. And um, that was our first kind of presentation as well. So... We were really happy with that. Oh, fantastic. I think presenting at the uh, the College Congress is an excellent way to 
uh, meet people with similar interests and develop your network. So a very good thing to do. And the Auckland conference was uh, was great fun. Not such a big city, but um, it was uh, a lot of interesting people there. So, well, what's next? Do you think, Brian? What what else uh, do you think you might be interested in in terms of future research? At the moment, I'm uh, I'm open for any opportunity that knowing the clinical work. Recently, I moved job from the uh, public sector to a bit more private position. Um, so uh, at the moment, I'm kind of still learning the job and just surviving the new job uh, before uh, thinking about doing more research. But uh, I'm, I'm still in contact with a few of my previous professors who you know, I'm helping with their, uh, with their project. So it's still an ongoing thing, I would I would love to kind of get more experience and, and, and have a few more publications as well through the process. Yeah, look, I think once you've developed the skills, it then becomes really natural to get involved mm. in other people's projects. So even if you are not going to be an academic psychiatrist, you can always contribute something, whether that be initiating an idea that somebody else implements or being involved in the analysis and the conclusions. All right, I'd like to finish by thanking David Veal for running the control desk and again thank Ollie, Michael and Brian for developing the series. You can subscribe to the Thought Broadcast and all the major podcast services and we encourage you to check out Psych Matters, the other podcast produced by the College of Psychiatrists. I'll uh, see you next time, guys. Thank, thank you. you very much. If you did enjoy our introduction music, it was produced by an artist named Shady Dave and is available through open source platforms. The links will be available on our bio and website.